Well, hello, everyone, and we are ready to start the brand new study of the letter to the Philippians. Pray with me, please. Father, we just are so excited to delve into this this letter that Paul wrote to people he adored, people he loved, people he cherished. Father, may we hear those personal words that we can relate to our own hearts. Lord, we thank you for this Bible. We thank you for your word, Lord. May we send your hands on our cheeks as you say, now listen. May we listen today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, as your Bible is open, please say with me, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. This letter that Paul wrote to the people of Philippi just picture with me. He is in house arrest. He maybe wakes up this morning and he is thinking about his churches and he's thinking about his parishioners and he's praying for them. And a, a specific church pops into his mind and it is the church of Philippi. And so as we as we go into these words, I think he he got up and he just needed to to correspond. He needed to picture them as he wrote. He he had such joy and love for these people and he wants them to know and he's going to be encouraging. He's even going to do some instructing, but he's really going to meet them right where they need to be met. He is so filled with God's spirit. The spirit has led him to write this letter to the people of Philippi. And I am sure that it is so relevant that that he, the Holy Spirit, had Paul write this letter for you and I today. So read with me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So apparently... Timothy is with him, and, and in the questions, um, I, I wrote, who is Paul and who is Timothy? And sometimes it, it might be a little redundant, but, but sometimes it's good to go back, and who is Paul anyway? He is that Pharisee, that, that man of God. He, he was well-educated and versed in the Old Testament. In fact, he could quote it. He, was, he had so many wonderful attributes, religious-wise, and he had so many gifts, and yet he didn't have Jesus. In fact, for the longest time, he thought that it was ridiculous, and he did whatever he could to, to get rid of this new way called the way. He was so determined that it was going to be a threat to the Jews, to the Judaizers, and, and he wanted to get rid of it. And on his way to Damascus, we know from studying the book of Acts that he was kind of knocked down right to the ground, and he saw a light, and a light that, that was Jesus himself. And, and Paul then was, was blinded for three days, and he was really for three days he had really nothing to do or see or or or, or all he could do is think and he thought about where his life was headed and and now he was introduced to Jesus himself and and then the then Ananias came and 
and the scales came off Paul's eyes. And from that day on, Paul knew his Savior. It was life-changing, and it should be for every one of us. When we are introduced to Jesus and we respond uh, to his grace and his unconditional love and his mercy, and then we watch how he changes us. And Paul as he's writing to these people of Philippi, I'm sure much of his past just goes through his mind and how transformed he is and how his whole purpose for living changed. And and he he didn't care what he had to go through. He didn't care what what happened to him. All he cared about was making sure that he fulfilled God's plan for his life, and that was to take this gospel to the people, um, to the Gentiles, and specifically now to the people of Philippi. And so um, that's who Paul is, and and Timothy and. Timothy is is half Jew, half Gentile, and he became a follower of Paul. He came to know Christ through Paul and became one of his closest, closest friends and confidants and ended up to really take over for Paul. And in, in 2 Timothy, when Paul is talking to Timothy in First and Second Timothy is pretty much handing over his mantle to Timothy. He knows that he will not be able to live forever, and he is pretty much, you know, been well. He's been very much informed that his life is over, and so he wants to make sure that he has all his ducks in a row that the gospel continues. And so, in Second Timothy chapter one, he he wrote to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. See, Paul wouldn't just pick anybody. He had to pick someone that maybe was totally not like him at all. In fact, I would dare say that Paul and Timothy couldn't be more different personality-wise. Paul is pretty much, you know, out there, and he is pretty much you know, boasty, you're not boastful, but I mean, he's just very, um, not afraid to speak, and he's not afraid to be in front of people, and I picture Timothy, he's a little more timid, and he's a little quieter, and, and yet Paul sees the most important quality in him, and that is his heart, and his love for Jesus, and so when Paul says that, he says, I, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I am persuaded that he lives in you now. So there's so much in there, isn't there, about uh, parental and even grandparent influence and how when children watch parents and grandparents, how much our lives are reflected into theirs. And, and he, Paul just comes right out and says it. You had a great grandma and you had a great mom. And they taught you right. And because they, they have to, they have to learn. And who's going to be the one to teach them? And isn't it probably the 
best and most important job parents and grandparents have is to influence our child and grandchildren for for Jesus to show them in our lives how important he is. So Timothy and Paul, and, the, and Paul calls them both servants, servants of Christ Jesus. And then he says, to all the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, can you just picture him? And he says, you know, to, the, to the saints, which are the believers, and then he adds, and together with the overseers, the leaders of the church that, that now are taken over, and, and also the deacons, the people who are serving the church. So he includes them all, the believers, the leaders, and the, the people who are serving the church. And then he says, grace and peace, which are so Paul's familiar greetings. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus and from, our, from God our Father. And then he, in verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. Which, which shows that, you know, when he's in house arrest and he's not able to be free to go and, and do what he always was used to doing and he has much more time to think. What does he think about? And and I went back to Acts chapter 16 and, and that is where he was really told to go to Macedonia. It wasn't the direction. If you remember in Acts 16, um, he and Silas, they were, they were probably looking at the map and they had just been... Um, they're ready to start there. They had Paul and Barnabas had finished their first missionary journey, and now it's Paul and Silas. They're going on a second missionary journey, and they they're thinking that we're going to head in this certain direction. It just looks like it's it's reasonable. It, it looks like it's the direction we should go. And then then all of a sudden, Paul has this vision and he has he sees this man during the night he had a vision of a man of Macedonia in, in verse nine of chapter sixteen of Acts and this man was standing there begging him come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision we got up which means Luke was there at the time we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So a change of direction, and I'm sure it's one Paul will never forget because it was so logical to be going in one direction, and then in this vision, he sees this man who says, please come over and help us. And without any hesitation, Paul and his team, they get up and go over to Macedonia area, and they first, one of the first towns that they hit in that area was a town called Philippi. It was a Roman colony, and it was the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days, he says. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. 
Whenever Paul would go into a city, Josie still so loves his Jewish heritage, and he still so longed for the Jews to know Jesus the way he, he did. Even though he knew his, his mission was to be the apostle to the Gentiles, he still had a longing for his people. And he would go and and he would go to a synagogue, and this time he would this time there was no synagogue. He he went out in, into the, the town or wherever he thought there would be a synagogue and and he, he expected to with no synagogue to at least find a place of prayer. And there wasn't there wasn't any all he found, we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of the people were one of the people that he met, one of the first persons he met was the lady Lydia, and she was a dealer in purple cloth, and she was a worshiper of God. So a very religious person, and Paul understood this because this is what he was. He was such a religious person, and yet was missing the main ingredient. And so he introduced Lydia to Jesus, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And she, she and her family, they all responded to the, the gospel of Christ, and they were baptized. And, and then, then she invited Paul to her home. And, and she asked, actually, she invited the whole team. And they all became very good friends with Lydia. And how the Lord used this, this was not coincidental. This was so God's plan that Paul would meet the right people at the right time. And she would always be an asset to Paul from this day on. So we know that, that he has ties with Lydia and her family, but also in that chapter, what, el what else happened in Philippi, which we will never forget, is when Paul and Silas were thrown into prison, and it was one of those worst kind of prisons. They were severely beaten and stripped and flogged. And then they were guarded, they were, they were guarded, and not only guarded, but they were, they were in the innermost part of the prison. They were their feet were fastened in stocks. We know how they were probably sitting there in that cold, damp prison, and they were bleeding, and they were hurting. And yet at midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. They knew what they needed to do to keep their eyes on, on Jesus, not themselves. Oh, that's such a valuable lesson, and I cannot do that lesson enough because that is so, oh, that is so human nature. When you wonder if Paul and Silas, when they were sitting there, did it cross their mind? Like, did we read the Lord wrong? We thought we should go in this direction. And then, then this vision said we should go to Macedonia, and we just did. And, and maybe we didn't hear it right. Maybe we should have gone in the other direction. You wonder, did doubt start plaguing them? 
Well, they're only human, and it's natural to think when you're now sitting there broken and beaten and, and in, in chains, and so they're not able to do what they think they're supposed to be doing out in the town. They're grounded in this prison. Oh, what a valuable lesson Paul and Silas learned, how God works. It's not always comfortable, and it's not always, you know, common sense. It's not always the most reasonable thing, how God is going to use this difficult situation to show Paul and Silas as they head out, and they will be going into more towns and have more persecution that God is with them and he will make a way. Because we know around midnight while they're singing hymns, they know they've got to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith, or maybe the doubts will start taking over. Maybe the questions will start winning out. It's so easy to let our emotions get bigger than our faith. So we've got to do something to keep our faith in check. We've got to keep letting the Holy Spirit remind us of what we know. And so they're singing hymns that are reminding them of who God is and who Jesus is. And, and, and all, all while this is going on, prisoners are listening wondering how they could be singing and, and praising God and praying when they're in such dire state here. And then the, the earthquake happens and, and the, the locks come off all the cells and the jailer is ready to kill himself because he knows that the, that, the, that the prisoners will escape and then, of course, he'll be put to death anyway. And, and then Paul shouts out, don't, don't, harm, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Don't you wonder what did keep those prisoners there when they had a chance to escape? I mean, you can, you can say the obvious, you know, that God kept him there, but, but what was the, what was the, what kept those prisoners, you know, God didn't just put his hand out there and stop them. So what kept those prisoners there? And I am so sure that it was Paul and Silas's testimony. These prisoners were witnessing joy they were witnessing they were witnessing these two men able to have this joy oozing from them even when their body is oozing with sores yet they have this joy on their face when circumstances couldn't be any worse they were affected by that they wanted that. They wanted to stay close to these two men who had joy in the middle of all this. And, you know, these prisoners knew that, that when they, if they would get out, they probably would lay on right back because they had nothing. God had a plan here. He had a purpose. And he had their testimony so vibrant and real that these prisoners wanted to know more. 
this jailer, he, he said, what must I do? What must I do to, to have what you have? What must I do to be saved? I love what I see here. And I don't think this jailer was the only one. Those prisoners were watching. And Paul was able to say, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And then you, with your, with your testimony, will take it to your households. This is how it, this is how it, it goes. This is how it extends out. When we are changed and we live this out, and this is what Paul is writing to the people of Philippi about. Make sure that, that you keep growing and maturing because as you grow and mature and as people are watching, do they want to come along? Do they watch your testimony in the, in the good times and in bad and say, I want what they have. They saw something. They heard something. They witnessed Holy Spirit character and it is so contrary to self-character. I thank my God every time I remember you. Don't you think that Lydia and the jail experience and the, and the jailer and the prisoners, all that came into the forefront of Paul's mind and he said, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. In other words, he said, every time I think of you and I start praying for you, my whole spirit is lifted up because I am reminded that your partnership, that you and I are in a partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he goes on to say, and you know what? I'm also confident of this. That he, Jesus, who, became, who began a good work in you, he started that good work in you on the day that you humbly came to the cross of Christ knowing how badly you needed a Savior. You were very much aware of your sin and how, how lost you were and you were willing to come to the cross of Christ. That first second that you did that, he said, I'm confident that he who started that good work in you and there's no greater work when, when he now has you redeemed and bought back and now infill, he instills within you and fills you with his Holy Spirit. I'm confident that he who began this good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If I were hearing that letter being read to me by Paul, and I was sitting there in Philippi, couldn't you just imagine that they were, the smiles that came on their face, no matter who's listening, what encouragement that was to them. I'm sure life wasn't easy for them, just like life isn't easy for us now. 
And yet we can hear as the letter was read to the people of Philippi, this letter is being read to us today and it is to you and I and it should encourage us and put a smile on our face that Paul is reassuring us that, that even though times may be rough, that he, Jesus, began a good work in us when we came to the cross, and he will continue that work. He will never leave us. He will continue to, to use his Holy Spirit in his word to, to grow us. And well, he goes on to say what he wants for them as well as he wants for us that this will keep going until, until we see Jesus face to face. That we can count on the fact that this will become more precious, more wonderful, more powerful, more life-changing every day. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. It's right for me to feel like this. I mean, we have something in common. We're in this together. Since I have you in my heart, for whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. We're all in this. We all had to come to the cross the same way. We've all been given the same Holy Spirit we are now in partnership together. It doesn't matter whether it is good times or whether, like he says, whether I am defending or confirming the gospel, whether I'm in chains or not. It, it doesn't matter. The story needs to go on. The truth of Christ needs to continue. All of us, we share in God's grace. And that should just spur us on. That should keep all down and despair and discouragement away. Paul just loves to bring us back to, do you realize? He did that to the, in the letter of, to the Ephesians too. He wants us to go back and remember that, that we were lost, and, but we have a Savior, and now together we're, we're a part of the family of God. And through thick and thin, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, I, I am telling you the truth, and God can see my heart, and he knows how much I mean it. I long for all of you. I miss you terribly. I would just love to come to the church service Sunday. I would love to be able to see you worship. I would love to visually see it. But I'm in chains and I don't really even need to because I can picture it in my mind and, and we're all together in this and we can rejoice together. In this, I want you to know, Paul is, Paul is saying, and I want you to know this, that, that in my prayers, this is, this is what I pray so for you, he says, that 
your love, that your love, the, the, not the superficial, the, the unconditional, the, not the conditional kind, but the unconditional kind, the kind that the Spirit produces. That I pray that your love, that love, may abound more and more. Remember in Ephesians when we read that Paul said, I just, I just want you to grasp how high, how long, how deep, how wide the love of Christ is. Grasp that. He's saying to these people of Philippi, my prayer for you when I pray, this is what I pray, that the love that you have, that real, unconditional kind of love of Christ that you will get more and more of it. It's because it's limitless. There's so much more love than what you even know today. I want you to know, know more and sense more about that love. And this is how you do it. You, you attain that love. You more and more of that love. You understand that love more and more. The more knowledge you have, the more knowledge you have, the more you study and learn about who Jesus is, what he's come to do. And yeah, we, we, we kind of know, but don't you find the more you study, the more it just takes you back like, why would he do it? It makes you know him and love him more, which then causes you to trust him and surrender your life to him more. So he says, I want you to keep, I don't ever want you to think that, that you, you've got it down. That the more that you work at this, the more that you study, the more time you give him, it will not be for, for a waste of time. It will, it will just blossom you. And you'll have more depth of insight. Depth of insight. That means going deep. The Holy Spirit takes this deep into your soul. And your heart, and the more that your heart is transformed, it then comes out of you. And that's what causes this change. So Paul says, every day I, I pray, and my prayer is that you will love him more and more. And that you will learn, because it does take knowledge and the more that you are willing to learn and know, and you will take it deep, you'll have depth of insight. It will give you deeper understanding so that you may be able to discern what is best. And discern. The way Paul meant it was... I want you to be able to process. I want you to be able to process about how to determine God's desire in your life. What does he want with me? How does he want to use me? What does he want? How does he want to use me today? 
in my making myself available to him. He's saying, I want you to be able to discern. I want you to be able to say, this is what I know he wants me to do. Are you discerning? Are you really understanding what that word means, the process of determining God's desire, not only in a certain situation, but in your life? So that you will know what's best, what's best for my life. How can I live my life more for you, Lord? Because since my salvation, my life isn't, it shouldn't be about me anymore. It's about you. In my version, he says, and discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. And in King James, he used the word that you become more sincere and without offense. I looked, at, I looked in King James because I, I know that sometimes when we see the word blameless, it just freaks us out because we think that's not even possible. And so then we don't even think about it. We know, oh, I'm, I'll never be blameless. And, well, you know what? We can. We could be if we were always listening to the Spirit. But unfortunately, you know, in our human bodies, we are so overwhelmed so often with our own selves. But, but yet, he's saying, uh, the more you should be able to see that you're improving, that if you look back, you can say, you know what, I see that I'm not doing and, and following and falling into my weakness as much as I used to that I'm listening to the Holy Spirit's voice more now. I see myself popping back, back onto the right track quicker than I used to. He says, I want you to be able to discern, like, is this right? Is this what the Lord wants for me? Is the Lord wants the best for us, and he does want us blameless. He does want us sincere. He does, he does want us without offense. He wants us filled with the fruit of righteousness, which is living right. Remember, fruit is what comes out of us, and he wants us living, filled with the fruit of righteousness. It's so clear. He wants us to know him better and better so we'll love him more and more that we'll have a deeper insight of his purpose for our lives so that we can see the change that we're becoming less and less about ourselves and more and more about him and then that comes out of our life which then is pure and blameless sincere without offense living right and why filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He wants us to live our lives so people can see and we know ourselves that we want to praise God for what he's done, that our, we have a life of praise, that we have a life of gratitude and thankfulness and doesn't that sound a whole lot different than, than down and discouraged and depressed and don't even want to get up in the morning? 
Paul says, I'm in chains. Life is not happy right now. But yet, just remembering you and knowing, because I've experienced it in good times and in bad, that God is there and he's always got a purpose. This letter is so full of joy and every one of us needs a big old dose of it now and then. I tell you, if we are not living in joy, then we need to go back to the cross. We need to go back to God's word. And we need to say, I'm sorry I haven't listened to your spirit. That as he reminds me of who I am in Christ Jesus, I let this world and all of its messes and I let all my emotions take over and all my doubts and questions instead of remembering Instead of learning more and taking the time so he can lift me out of that dire pit and turn the lights of truth on and remind me so that I could get back to right living. Now, I want you to know, brothers, verse 12, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel See, this is what we're talking about. He is proving that circumstances could be worse for him. This is not the way he wanted to, to ride his life out. But he's saying, I'm not going to, I'm not, because what I know, because of the depth of insight about my Savior, I am not going to let my human nature pull me to the point of feeling sorry for myself and, and so that I become ineffective. That when people come to visit me or when the, when the palace guard or whoever is, is standing guard, they see me complaining and whining and feeling sorry. and Who's going to want to get on that? He said, no, 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 I'm not going there. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me is really a serve to advance the gospel. Why? Because he didn't let himself. He listened to God's spirit, and his spirit was telling Paul, you are not done yet, and even though your circumstances are different than what you thought, I can still use you. I don't mean to put my own personal thing in here, but, you know, when, when in 30 seconds, when, when I had my first voice treatment, and I knew that in 30 seconds, my 52-year-old singing career, it was all I knew, because I started when I was such a little girl, and that's all I knew how to do, pretty much, and all of a sudden, in one treatment, in 30 seconds, my singing is done. It's over. Now, I knew right then, and I, had, I, I know it's not at all compared to Paul, but to me, this was my life. And, and I knew I had a split second to decide, am I going to go down the road of complaining and whining and after all what I, what I had done for 52 years and, and now you're taking it away from me? And, you know, it's, that's just, it almost... It almost chokes in my voice box to say that because I decided I was not. Fortunately, I had 
enough depth of insight. Believe me, it's not near enough yet, but fortunately I had enough depth of insight that I knew that God doesn't take away something without having another plan. And Paul was willing, and I have to say, I have not looked back. I have never shed a tear. I've watched him just change course of direction. And I understand what he means when he says, because you're, people feel sorry for me all the time. Oh, I feel so bad for you. And I think, no, no, no. And I'm sure this, this is what people were thinking. People of Philippi, people of Ephesus who love him so much. Paul had to remind both of them, don't feel sorry for me. God's got a plan. He knows what he's doing. And we have, we have one of two choices. We can let it overtake us, and then we just fall into our own self and self-pity, or we can say, Lord, we know you, and we know your love. And we know that even though this isn't what we planned, you've got a plan, and your plan is always best. It is an, you, it's an act of obedience of your faith. Am I going to believe it or not? And he says, you know what? It's helped by me in this condition. It don't feel sorry for me because it served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Hoo-hoo. Paul was willing to look in God's direction instead of his own and see that God's plan was, Paul, in this state, you're going to reach people that you couldn't have reached otherwise. You're going you're gonna to reach the palace guard and, and then people know you so they're taking the story. Do you, know, do you know Paul's in prison? He's in chains because he preached the gospel of Christ. And, and he said what happened was it turned people into stronger, more bold and they were able to share this. They knew that Paul was in chains, so by cracky, I'm going to make sure that this story is out there, and, and I'm going to I'm going to share what has happened to me. It just you could just see it, Paul saying, "I, I got to tell you, I'm watching better things happen. I couldn't have done this otherwise." But these people are coming to my defense. They're telling the story, and they're becoming bolder because of it. It is true. It is true. I, I like this part because he's just saying, you know, there's always some rascals in the bunch. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. There's always going to be those who use the gospel for their own building up. Paul knew that. He said, but then there's some who use it for the right reasons. He said, the latter, the ones who do it for the right reasons, they do so in love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. They know that I would 
do anything. I will go through anything just so that this gospel can, can go forth. The other, the, the former, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition. You know, ambition in itself is not wrong. Paul had great ambition, and his ambition was to get this gospel out. But whenever you stick at self, A-S-E-L-F, whenever you stick that four-letter word in front of any other word, it destroys it. Like confidence. Paul uses the word confident and convinced. But mainly the word confident, when he uses that, he's confident in who Jesus is and his relationship with Jesus. He know, he's confident of who he is in Christ. And he would not be who he was without him. He's confident. But you stick a word, the word self in front of it, self-confident. That means you're confident because you're so sure of you. And the same thing with the word ambition. Ambition isn't wrong, but you put selfish ambition, and that's when it is wrong. And then he goes on to say, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. They're not sincere. They really don't mean it. All they want to do is say, oh, good, Paul's out of the way. Now maybe... I can make a name for myself, and I can take over for him, and, and then people will think of me the way they thought of Paul. And their whole motive was so wrong. But then look at verse 18. Paul says, because, you know, when you're thinking that people are out there and they're, they're promoting the gospel, when their motive is all about themselves, it kind of drives you crazy. But look at Paul's verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. It doesn't even bother them. It doesn't even bother them that people are out there trying to take his place. Take his position. All he cares about, because he knows, he knows that in the long run, the Lord's going to deal with them. And that isn't his job. But in the meantime, even though their motive is wrong, they are getting the gospel out there. Now, Paul says in another letter, or he, he does say in another letter, if anybody's preaching a false gospel, let him be condemned. See, that's a whole different story. Here he's talking about, hey, they're telling the gospel the right way. Now, their motive is wrong, but that, that's beside the point. God's going to take care of that. He will deal with that, and they will pay for that. But right now, the gospel's getting out. People are hearing. And so he says, I, I rejoice. I rejoice. I'm sure it doesn't thrill him. I mean, he's not happy about it. But hey, the joy is Jesus. And the news, the gospel news of Jesus is getting out there. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, he says. 
For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Boy, he is so confident, isn't he? He's so confident. In these next verses, it just shows how his heart is so right and how the Lord has used this man from start to finish and how we can see that he's just normal. He's just a typical human being. But when he's activating the spirit of God, he knows. He's sure. He's convinced. He's confident. Can you say that about yourself? That you're so sure and confident, convinced that no matter what happens, it's for your deliverance. And Deliverance, what does that mean? Well, he knows deliverance could mean that he be set free. If, that, if that's God's will, that he be set free from this house arrest and he's able to go back out there, or he knows he'll be delivered into what? Into his eternal home to be with his Savior forever. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Is that a surrendered life or what? You aren't going to say that. May you do whatever you want with my life, Lord, whether it's if it's in life or if it's in death. I am willing to let you use me however you want. But, you know, he, he shows his humanness because he says, I'm so grateful for your prayers and the Holy Spirit because he's, he's the one that's going to overpower my self-feelings and make me realize that it isn't about me, it's about Jesus. And so whatever, however, but I expect that he will give me what it takes. I mean, maybe he even has been, well, he knows about how Christians, some of them have died, and maybe he knows that he's going to take that walk to the guillotine. And he's saying, I hope and I expect, I expect the Holy Spirit to come through. I know he will. And I don't want to look fearful. When I've heard the Lord tell me to fear not, I am with you. I will uphold you with my right hand. So I expect and I hope that I will not, that the, no way will be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage that I will be able to follow through, whether in life or in death. All I want to do is exalt Christ after all what he's done. something that I am doing this lesson today because I lost a very, very dear friend today. Tom and I had 
we were friends with this couple for years and years. And this man, I adored him. He could make me laugh like no one else. They came with us singing so, so many times just so we would be able to have company and not be alone all the time. And they were just our best friends. And, and he went to be with Jesus today. And I am thrilled about that. I am thrilled to picture him standing in front of his Savior because he loved Jesus. But the reason I'm telling you this is because when he knew that he didn't have much time left, he made sure that his grandchildren heard again, like many times before, but maybe their ears, when he was on this kind of deathbed, maybe he would be able to communicate, and he did not lose any minutes. He made sure that when they came, he prayed with them, his desire, and he told them he had the courage. He exalted Christ even through his last moments. He exalted Christ, and he wanted to make sure that Christ was so evident in his life, but that it would then be evident in his children and grandchildren as, as they passed it on. His daughter told me that when he was praying, it was like that it was like he was given that strength and he sounded just like he did before he was sick. What is your priority? What what do you care about so much? And so often if we were honest, it's always about us and I just thought, oh, I just loved what I heard today. Look at verse 21. Paul said, and I believe Dave said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yeah. What should I choose? I do not know. I mean, Paul's pretty much, I'm in a dilemma. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. Which is, oh, I, don't you just love the way he wrote it? Which is better by far. He's saying, it is better for me to leave this earthly body and to go live with Christ. That Oh, that's better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know. See, when you're convinced, you could, you could follow convinced with I know. I know. I am so convinced that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress in joining the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. I know. I'm convinced that I will remain with you, uh, with you, in through this letter, and I will continue to see your progress in joy in your faith. 
but through he knows it's not it's not through so much him it's what god did through paul to these people paul was simply the mouthpiece so that through my being with you again your joy in christ jesus will overflow on economy i want you to be able to say Oh, aren't we so glad Paul came to town that he listened to that vision that when that man said to help us, we didn't even know how badly we needed help. But aren't we so glad that Paul was obedient to the Lord and had him come to our town and start a church so that we were able to hear that we were sinners and that we desperately needed a savior. If that isn't joy, and Paul says, that's what this is all about. I'm, I'm thrilled that I was the one chosen to come to your town to be able to share with you Jesus so you will know what real joy is. Verse 27, whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's continuing. He's continuing what he said about, I know, I know that we're all so glad that the Lord had this plan, that I come to you and I was able to share with you the gospel and now you know the joy of Christ. And, and, but it, now make sure that you live your life like you really mean it. That this joy now motivates you to live your life for Christ instead of yourself. And, and that thought, that just so reminded me of what Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus in chapter 4 when he said, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. He's, he's pretty much saying to us, okay, you, you realize what you have now? Do you realize how beautiful your walk with Jesus is. And that when you're willing to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice and be obedient to his word, where that takes you in your, in your mood and in your, in your motives and your worth and your purpose, because that can all get construed but once you realize how and grasp how wide, how long, how deep, how wide his love is, when you start grasping that, and you are maturing because you want his love to become more and more in your life, you want that understanding more in depth. You see how that just changes you. But he says, I want it to come out of your life. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Boy, he is on a roll now, isn't he? 
in case in case they're even thinking, oh dear, wonder if Paul dies. You know, we love this letter and all, but he is pretty much saying that whether he lives or dies, he is entrusting his life to the Lord. And I was thinking, you know, so often we look at death as a defeat, and yet for the Christian, death is not a defeat. It's merely a graduation into glory. Instead of a defeat for the Christian, it is a gain. That's what Paul wants us to see here. And again, that's so opposite of what human nature. Of course, we love our lives, and we love to live, and we want to live. But Dave said, he said, you know, I, I love my life, and I'd love to continue living. But if this is the Lord's time for me, I am ready. Oh my word, death was not his defeat. It was his gain. Because the only thing that had died was his earthly shell. The Dave we love and know is standing in the presence of Jesus. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Would you people realize what you've been given in Christ? Not just this wonderful life and abundant life now, but you can hold on to the fact that all the things that human nature tries to tell you is so horrible, well, it's just a release here, and you gain for me to live as Christ. But to die is gain. So, are you willing to say, whatever, Lord? And then he says, I want to know. I want to know that you will stand firm in one spirit, that you will get along, that you will, as he said, in one spirit, that you don't become divided, that you church, that you stick together. Because remember, I said at the beginning of the letter that, that we're partners. We're all partners. And when he started the letter, remember, he said to all the believers, to the leaders, to the, all the people who are serving the church, he included everybody. We're in this together. And I want this church, I want all of you to be standing firm, contending as one man, for the faith of the gospel without being framed in any way by those who oppose you. In other words, he says, it isn't going to be easy. Oh, there's nasties out there. And you know who the, the nastiest is? Is self, when it starts taking over. And that happens to the best of people, but he's warned us and be on guard for it when that old self wants to creep back in and when you're in a committee meeting or when you're trying to make decisions and people aren't willing to be unified in Christ, but they want their own way. Paul is warning them, now, contend as one. Don't be frightened when things come, when, thing, when, when opposition comes, or, or when something, you know, let's face it, when you feel the rafters shaking a little bit and, and the ground underneath is starting to quake and, and you're starting to feel like, oh dear, what happened to our perfect little gathering here? Don't be afraid. 
does say, he does put a warning here. Get together, and if you do have opposition, I mean real opposition coming in, let's say someone is coming in and they're trying to tell you that there's another way of salvation, or if they're in their in their you know, trying to be very convincing and they're trying to warp your thinking and they're trying to pull you. He's trying to keep those people so solid in the gospel and in, in studying of God's word and that they keep learning about depth of insight and they become, they know more and more so that when these oppositions come, and I call them sometimes spiritual fads, they can look so good, and they can come in, and, and they can say, but you know what? We really have to be more tolerant, or we really have to be, you know, our culture has changed, and yeah, all that changes, but God's word does, and his principles don't, and he's saying when opposition comes, he said, I want you to be bold. I want you standing up for what you know is right that you don't succumb to the pressure. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, that you will be saved, and that by God. In other words, you know what? They don't win, you and I do. I know they come in with their big weights, and they come in, you know, just with all their power and that, and it kind of shakes you up, and... And he said, no, no, don't be afraid because you know that my children will always win. Evil will be banished. Evil will be dealt with. Sin will be dealt with. And it will be dealt with by God himself. So... Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Now, that is a verse that, you know, we, we don't really like to hear, but it's just part of it. It is, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ that not only do you believe, but you will suffer. You will suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. I mean, these people, they knew what Paul was up against. They saw when he came to town. I mean, yeah, we had the, the good, the wonderful stories about, about Lydia. And the, but, you know, when, they, when Paul and Silas landed in prison, it was because they were doing right because they were standing up for this, this little gal fortune teller who was being controlled by these two men who was making Mughal money off her. And when Paul drove that evil spirit out of her and that she was no longer able to tell these fortunes, which meant these two men's cash flow stopped, they got all up in arms. So... Paul knew what he was saying, and the people know what he was saying, that what Paul and Silas didn't have to go through for the cause of Christ, the beating and the flogging, it wasn't easy. I mean, we love to stick to the stories about Lydia and the, the, the jailer and, and his family, and you know, but 
No, you can't. You cannot not read the rest of the story. That's why I talked at length about when Paul and Silas were sitting there, how it was not an easy time. Getting this gospel to the world was costly. But because of their depth of insight, because of their love for Jesus and what he did for them, they knew that it was worth it. Paul knows that this church is probably going to go through some, if not already, they have some tough times because this is the way the Christian walk is. It's so hard for, you know, people to say, well, I don't really want to suffer, so then I don't know if I really want to get on that Christian walk. And I don't know. Once you're on the Christian walk, though, I don't know. I wouldn't ever, ever want to get off. Because, and you're going to see more as we go into this letter, and I asked the question uh, at the end. Actually, I made a statement. I said, explain this. There is joy in Jesus no matter what is going on in life. There is joy in Jesus. There is joy in Jesus because once you become a part of his family and you are included in Christ, everything that you know, he can, there is no one, there is no circumstance, there is no difficult person that can take that away from you. So what, you, what matters the most to me, no one or nothing can get at. Paul says, I want you single-minded that way, that when the oppression comes, when the hard times come, and they will, you saw it happen to me, you're probably witnessing it yourself, and instead of getting shook or panicked, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit's strength and power that you will keep recalling the words of Jesus when he says, my joy in you is complete. Joy is the relationship that you have with him that no one or nothing can touch. Complete joy. John 15, Jesus explains it so beautifully. So there is joy in Jesus no matter what. Do you know that suffering really does make you stronger? Do you ever look back at your life, I know I do, and I think, oh man, I want to wish that on my worst enemy or, or a certain part, you, you remember some most difficult time. You think, how can anything good come from this? And yet, if you are willing, there's only one of two choices. You can either let it take you down that self-road of all the D words, all the down words. Or you can say, I'm going to let this suffering make me stronger. Remember when Paul wrote that suffering causes a perseverance. Perseverance causes a hope that will never disappoint you. 
suffering will make you stronger if you look in the right direction. And another little thing that as I look back on my life, I think I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't gone through that. If we are willing, suffering can be used to make you who you are more and more in Christ Jesus. Now, are we to the point that we're saying, well, just bring it on, then just bring on the suffering? No, I don't think that any of us would say that. But it does help that when it does hit, we're reminded that Paul said, you know I'm well aware of what suffering is, but I also am aware of what it did for me. And I pray that for you, because we all, in this world, Jesus said, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome. You know, life wants to overcome us. But Jesus is so the overcomer. And I guess it's up to us where we're going to really find our strength and our courage. And when we turn to Jesus, who is our complete joy through it all, we will find that he does have a powerful way of keeping us, keeping us from falling, keeping us from falling into that pit, that miry clay and instead he puts us on the rock to stay and gives us such hope and assurance that we can, like Paul, say, I am confident and I am convinced and I know that in all things he is working for the good of those who love him. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uplifting letter that gives joy in the middle of it all. I'm sure these Philippians were so encouraged as they heard that first part of the letter. And Lord, may we be too. That we allow you in the midst of our sorrow and our pain and our suffering that we watch you do and be all that you promised. But we have to work at it. We have, to, we have to spend time with you. We have to know how important it is to mature and grow. It, how important it is to let this word in your spirit take over ourself. Oh, we just praise you. We rejoice because of you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.